Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, it's another day. Damone is out sick this week. Our normal host, Damone Carter. I am Nate LeBlanc. I'm our uh, co-host and producer, and I'm here with David Ma, internationally known hip-hop writer, man of mystery, man of history. What's up, dude? Yo, what's up? Thank you for the introduction, man. That was uh, beyond my means, for sure. Uh, I don't know how accurate that is, but it's really good to be here. It's kind of um, kind of a beautiful day in the Bay Area, so um, you know that's always good to see. It is. It's a it's a lovely day. It's been a mild summer, like high eighties. The sun is out. We're obviously kind of stuck at home, um, okay. but trying to you know just do what we can to be good citizens, but also kind of have some semblance of a life. Totally, totally. Um, Nate and I, for um, listeners out there, rode our bikes around uh, Santa Clara a couple of days ago. It was really nice. Um, uh, ditching, um, trying to not get ran over by cars on the overpass. But other than that, man, yeah. Totally. It's, it's, we, had, we had a socially distance hang, our first, really our first one since, uh, since quarantine started. Right. We, uh, we acted like teenagers. We rode bikes. We went to the liquor store. We bought beers. <laughs> we hung out in the park. We talked about philosophy and life and how much money our friends make yeah <laughs> um so i um, i told you i was going to surprise you with a topic i just wanted your your gut reaction so i didn't want to prompt you too much and this is sure. david ma um how do you feel about the concept of digitally detoxing do you ever take time away from your phone your computer your laptop and like not do that yes um, I do, but definitely not enough. And I definitely am for digital detoxing. It makes perfect sense. I mean, if you just eat fast food and crap and stuff, your body is going to react to that. I think I've said this on the show before. And if you're just on the internet and you feed yourself bad info, bad everything, it's going to affect your brain, just like food affects your body. Do and you um, think you can follow the right people and like algorithm your way into a healthy online experience or is it inherently toxic? Um, I think, no, I don't think it's inherently toxic. I think you can definitely sort of craft your own um, timeline and just be um, not exposed to anything. I mean, I think the most toxic parts of Twitter and um, Facebook are like the comment sections. I mean, at this point, we know who the bots are. This is obviously a fake account. You know, this person is here to just stir up trouble. But in general, um, very down for the digital detox. Uh, what yeah. about yourself? Uh, you had a lovely day at the beach today, man. That, I, that I sounds did, like quite the detox. And it really, it really put me in that mode of where I was like, I need to do this more and I need mm -hmm. to do it soon. And like, um, the thing that really got me thinking was, um, for our anniversary last year, my wife and I got this little cabin in, um, this little town called Jenner. It's like on the Russian river in like Northern California, maybe like two hours North of, um, San Francisco. And it, we didn't know it didn't have internet until we got there. Ooh. So I had like, it, it's actually funny and you'll, this will actually be funny to you and just seem weird to other people who are listening. But like, I was working on a piece that I'm still working on. Eric, <laughs> and I had, um, I don't have Microsoft word on my laptop, but I had brought my laptop and I was like, Oh, I'll just work in the Google doc. Right. And right. I, at that point I was like close to finishing up a draft that I thought was going to be something and still, still, still uh, tinkering. But anyway, um, it kind of threw that plan off course, but, um, 
so I spent, I think, four days. Like, I would have to go into town to get signal to send a text. Like, that's how out, out of the loop we were. Like, I couldn't even do text. So it was a nice, clean, refreshing break. I just focused on, like, cooking and, mm-hmm. like, being with Lucia and reading. Mm-hmm. Just kind of hanging out. And I, I feel like I have another one of those coming. I kind of tried to do that today, but, like, I also had to know that Damone got sick and who today's guests were and do a little right. research and all that right. stuff. But while we were out at the beach, which was lovely, and most people had masks on and we stayed away from each other, um, you know, I tried. But well, it, then th- that leads me to um, a second question. I mean, what's the longest you've gone without internet, you would say? I would say like three days. Since, okay. Since I, okay. So I was a late adopter to cell phones. Like I had a Blackberry when everyone was getting iPhones. I remember. Make fun of me. <laughs> uh, and like, I just, I did, it's weird. I don't have a good plan because I got a plan back then. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, this is for emergencies only. I'll never use a right. cell phone like a normal thing. And I don't, I certainly don't need internet on it. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. It was like my, my attitude, which was a terrible attitude and like just grew less and less true over time. So, yeah, I think since I got my first iPhone in like, you know, 2007 or nine or whenever that was, I think I I go on this family camping trip and my service doesn't work up there. So I know Mm. for sure I've had a full Friday, full Saturday, maybe part of Sunday. Nice. Nice. Part of Thursday like time. What about you? Um, The last, that's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. The last time I was without internet, it was for about two days and um, it wasn't because it wasn't available. It was because we were in, in Shanghai and uh, Chinese internet is, is completely filtered. So you mm. literally, you can't get on Google. What do you do? <laughs> uh, you, can get on, you can get on Yahoo, but it's like this ultra draconian stripped down version where if you, if you type in China thumbs down, it's going to like go to a black screen. It's wow. Ridiculous. That's crazy, dude. So you just kept your phone in your pocket rather yeah. than interface with that whole deal. Totally, totally. Um, occasion- I mean, like all social media apps are blocked and stuff. So, you know, occasionally we would use it as a resource, use the internet as a resource, you know, but other right. than that. Um, like just getting no directions internet. and stuff like that. Right. Totally. Yeah. Directions, the, the occasional like Yelp review or something. But um, yeah. That was pretty strange, but you know, it's one of those where it's like, ah, you just exhaled, you know? Right, right. So it, 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 it would be good. interesting to do. I always associate it with kind of like a pastoralism, like with going out into the woods or to the beach or somewhere right. like beautiful and totally. so you have other things to occupy your mind. It would be fascinating to be in such a futuristic and yet right. ancient city and mm-hmm. then also not like there's plenty to look at, look, see, feel, touch, like to do there without mm-hmm. the internet but it's also like a huge part of modern travel is like summoning cars finding out where to totally. eat like, totally 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 what parts of town are the right like you know you guys are not like you, you guys are more like travelers than tourists so you don't want to be taken to like shanghai's Times square you want right, to like, right. go to shanghai's brooklyn you know what no, i mean like, exactly, you can't really tell exactly. that stuff without without the internet really unless you yeah have- something i mean so i mean don't get me wrong the internet definitely exists there but it's like this weird stripped down version that's that's you're just like ew okay i'm gonna put my phone back in my pocket now you know right. what i mean yeah and I if you really needed this. to use it if you really needed to utilize it for something then you know we pull out our laptops and go to a specific site or something but yeah most apps don't work and like all the ones we're familiar with are just totally weird and i found myself like reaching for my phone a lot and then being like what and i'm putting it back in you know totally 
Um, but it was a relief, man. So I am definitely down with the digital detox. I, yeah. I wish I had more, um, just more, more will to uh, do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's funny because like I was saying, like, I, I kind of feel like I need to do that coming up soon and try to figure out how to get a couple of days and do it safely, whether at home with like just a total shutdown of like unplugging everything and putting it in the closet or maybe going to like a cabin kind of situation or out into the woods. But uh, one one reason we could never go more than one week without the internet is we have a podcast. I know, totally, it's totally. Like, and again, it's a resource. I mean, yeah, and we definitely use it as, as such. And like you were saying earlier, uh, while, while you're at the beach, it was like, you need the internet to see, to do a little bit of research, to see today's guest, to blah, 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 to X, Y, and Z. And um, yeah, man, definitely need it. Definitely need it. Especially running a podcast where sometimes, you know, rappers don't get back to you until 30 minutes before. And it's like, hey, guys, we're talking to Razkaz today. Yeah. You know, we're talking totally. to, you know, whomever. So um, that's part of the fun of it, too. Absolutely. It's kind of like with the, you know more about it than we do right up until you tell us. So it's always just like fascinating to get the, it's like, whoa, cool. <laughs> All right. Well, research yeah. coming right up. Totally. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is we've been talking about banking a few things and like taking a week off maybe, or like mm -hmm. it would be like a week off for you guys and like a half week for me. Cause I'd still right. post the show and whatnot, but it, I feel like that's, that's coming more and more closely. And especially with Damone out this week, we're getting kind of a peak of like, I don't think we've hit a wall or anything. We're still really into the show and we love making the show, but like, I, I feel like we, we might need a little, a little window. Oh, for sure. For sure. Our, for sure. Give our brains a reset. And then I don't know if you feel this way and I'll kind of segue into music, which is why people tune in, but we had this incredible hot streak where there were so many great records. And then I think in the last week or so, I was kind of like, I don't really want to listen to hip hop right now. Like mm, I'm having mm. a, I'm having a little, like what else is out there? Like I was looking at oh, yeah. modify history and I like, I was like, okay, it's hip hop adjacent. Let me try that dinner party Terrace Martin album. Mm -hmm. And like, let me try mm -hmm. some indie rock and like, oh, what's going on in jazz? Like, you know, like I just mm -hmm, needed mm -hmm. to like cleanse the palate a little. Totally, totally, totally. I mean, that's, a, a, you know, we were saying earlier, that's a bit of the detox as well. You know, it's like how many uh, uh, Rock Marcy uh, things can, can I, you know, dive into? It's like, oh, I'm getting a little, t a little tired of it, you know? Yeah, it just gets, but, you, it, when the tropes don't feel like tropes, they feel like, um, I don't want to say prisons or something that's like way too heavy, but like they just finding it feels a little confining. It's like, yeah. I need to listen to something outside of this to give me appreciation for when someone is doing a really within genre. Totally. Good move. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, speaking of music and speaking of genres and speaking of the internet, unfortunately we've all learned about this and his condition uh, this week. Um, you know, obviously he's a big figure to me as well as you, Nate. I mean, to me, he represents like all that's kind of good about hip hop, you know, yeah. all the fun, um, all the colorfulness, um, all the almost purity, you know. Um, you know, give, give, people, give people your thoughts about Biz. I mean, shout out to Biz. Obviously, please, please, please get well. 2020 cannot get any more shittier, but... Nate, just let people know about Biz Marquis and sort of your sure. thoughts on his importance. Yeah, um, Biz Marquis, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Biz Marquis is one of my favorite artists of all time and someone whose um, music means a lot to me in my life and that um, I've, I've been a consistent fan of since I was a little kid and like nothing has interrupted. Like he's, he's never really like 
done me wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, right. It's just like Bismarck, he is consistent and funny and he brings like a joie de vivre to the music mm-hmm. making process. And um, he just, he has some, again, like some tropes that he always relies on, like the, his signature beatboxing moves and his signature rhythms mm-hmm. and his signature kind of catchphrases. And more than anything else, Bismarck, he is a character and the, the character is like this fun loving, like skilled in, like encapsulate like in person like how do you say the, the embodiment of the ethos mm-hmm. of early hip-hop totally so like is kind of like a sly fox like he always gets away with something right and right he, his music is so fun um mm-hmm. and especially the first three or four albums i just think like uh that's about as good as like kind of like 80s marley marl early chopped sample and totally you know, i don't want to say primitive but like very but like basic pocket rhyming right um, right. and I think he's incredibly important in your life too. Totally. I mean, personality for days. Um, I mean, I mean, we're talking about the Bismarck Key from like the late '80s, which we like fell in love with. But uh, I mean, even as a social media follow now, you know, he's playing 45s in a onesie. It's amazing. Um, uh, he still retains all that sort of childhood innocence that we that he projects so well, and he's been doing that for like fucking 30 plus years now. Um, there's not much really more, I mean, to say. I just hope he gets better. Um, I know. It's, like, such a bummer to find out that he's not in good health. And diabetes is, like, such a problem within the culture and within, like, the kind of, like, older male demographic of where mm-hmm. a lot of our heroes find themselves. So it's, I, I just, I'm just really hoping that he pulls through. It's, totally. Uh, I don't, it's just, like, hard to think about a world where he doesn't exist and he's exactly. not Exactly. Um, I, I was just thinking about how he, like, was so far ahead of so many trends. Like we've been talking a lot about um, the guy from the arsonist. I destroy or mm-hmm. destroy. I think is destroy, yeah. has has the um, show where everybody shows off all their stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. like it's like it's like look at my stuff or something. If it's called something like mm-hmm. um, and like Biz would be amazing at that. He's got all the like lunch pails and like he's got the forty five totally size turn like techniques wherever totally. like where did you get that those are custom like he totally. claims to have the um bob james without the bells right like, right, just right like he's like a legendary collector and he's been collecting for the longest time and i think when you are kind of a living embodiment of the spirit of the culture like that people want to give you things mm-hmm. and like give you access and like he's a legendary record digger he's a legendary right. performer he's like he's gone kind of the rapper turned dj route and he has mm-hmm. a show on um serious 43 uh rock the bells ll cool j's um channel so you i think you go straight from biz's mix show into um roxanne shante's talk show oh wow that's a normal day i know right it's like so it's so awesome um we're about to marley get- marl's in a jet plane <laughs> up and, yeah. greg g's dropping science <laughs> Big Daddy Kane puts a quarter in yes because you played yourself. Uh, yeah, he's uh, it's just it's just cool. They like to see them like surviving and li- like living into this modern era. So yeah, totally. I just wanted to like chat a little bit about the biz. It's just the, the the news really sucks. I'm like, I just you never want to see a rapper on TMZ totally, for any reason. Totally. But when that notification comes through, you're just like, oh my god, this is so right. Depressing. Well, I mean, at, I mean, at first you're gonna automatically automatically be like, it was a COVID related, you know. 
then yeah. there was a bit of a silence. So that was good to hear that it wasn't. I don't know if necessarily it's better that it's diabetes at this state of right. his health. But, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, with with Biz being such such a comedic value, um, just, just so de- self-deprecating through the years, he's always sort of that bright spot that you look back to, you know, even when, you know, when you get, like we were talking about earlier, when you're sort of getting sick of hip hop, you know? You can always look at look at a picture of Bismarck he making a face and it's great and it brings totally. you back to that second. And he he will always sort of embody that man. You know, Bismarck he with his face open or with his mouth open, make you know, making a face is just I don't know. It really it really, like you said, is like the embodiment of all that's good with hip hop. I mean, his presence alone. I mean, no one's saying he's the best singer, no one's saying he's the best rapper or has the best beats or blah blah blah. But he is the best you know what yeah. I mean? yeah totally totally um I w- i'm sitting here i kind of grabbed my little stack of records um just to to riff on while we were doing this and like i think everyone can agree that they need a haircut right, right. now <laughs> we're, we're in an area where they ha- they opened up haircutting places for two days and then they shut them down again and now i believe they're letting people do it outside i saw my first outside they had like a pop-up Jesus. tent like the farmer's market and they were cutting someone's hair. I'm, it's going to take me a while to get used to that idea. Like the kind of germaphobe in me is totally. like, huh, is that yeah. a good idea? Like having mm-hmm. like all this hair blowing around. Totally, totally. Um, and just any service where you're that close to another person. It's more like, it's more like I don't want to get them sick, you know? Totally. I guess the the science of it is if you're both masked up and I think in a lot of cases, the haircut provider has the face shield and Mm -hmm. you're facing away from them. There's really no way for the droplets to come back, but um, dude, did you follow what's happening in baseball? A team, uh, the Miami Marlins, I believe, I think eight, eight or 14. I've seen different estimates. It's hard when the timeline is out of order. Uh, have COVID, so like oh, no. their status is kind of unclear for the resumption of the baseball season. Which yeah, uh, some stepping in to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's funny the the NBA's relaunch in the bubble, as they call it in Orlando, has had its issues, but they at least solved for the metric of travel. Mm-hmm. Baseball's plan was to have the team still go to the different stadiums. I think the Blue Jays, because they're based in Canada and because there's so much weirdness with borders and visas and passports and crossing right now are playing in upstate New York or something. Uh-huh. But other than that, the, the plan was for these 32 teams or whatever to still travel the country, including like dipping into Florida and California where the disease is rampant and then dip back out to like Michigan or St. Louis. You know, I, it's just like, what? Yeah. That's terrible. I just man. can't see that going on. Like, I can't see that actually working in a way that, like, we have a season. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's weird, man. And Were you ever into baseball? I was never really into it. Um, I kind of got swept up to it, up in it as a kid. Um, you know, I collected baseball cards and stuff. You know, I watched uh, um, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire kill it in the 80s, and they were yeah. the Bash Brothers and things like that. But yeah. I was never a super baseball guy. I was more yeah. of a basketball head. Yeah, for sure. I had my you? times. Yeah, I definitely have had my times. Like there, there's been a couple really good Giants teams where I kind of got swept up in it. And when I got out of college, like when I was in college, I like focused on art and music and culture and like reading and like 
social histories and stuff like that so hard that when I got out, I was like, oh, sports are fun and sports have like this <laughs> social element, right? So oh, I, read, I read Bill James' um, book, A Baseball Abstract, and it's kind of the launching point for like the statistical revolution. Like mm. his, his views on um, taking different statistics and like what they actually meant in terms of the opening market forms, the basis of the money ball philosophy and um, all that stuff. So I read the Bill James book and the, Mike Mike Lewis, I believe is his name, book Moneyball that summer when I got out of college. And at that time, you could go to A's games and get front row tickets for like 15 bucks. So for right. one specific day, I was like out of college. It was the summer after college. I hadn't decided what I was going to do with, with my life yet. And I just drove up to Oakland, walked up to the box office, and I didn't even really watch the game. I just kind of listened to the game while I read my baseball books. Mm-hmm. That in like the third row. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a super fun day. And like, um, I'll never be able to do anything like that again, not only because of COVID, but like, I'm glad I did stuff like that, like when it mattered. And I was just of trying course. to take like a kind of a different view of the game. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, kid, you just root for like, I always rooted for the local teams. I don't like, same. I never liked the Pittsburgh Pirates or whatever, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's like I'm, I'm going to read a, a, about the team my dad likes. And like, totally, uh, you're going to read go about to the, the game and right, right. So it was just like, once I kind of learned about this different take on things, and now it's actually funny just to drag it screaming back to hip hop. Uh, you see that uh, Twitter account, Hip Hop by the Numbers. Like, <laughs> literally, none of that would have happened without Bill James and like kind of like the, the Nate Silverization of like mm. taking statistical models and like representing things in like a kind of well designed numerical format as a way into a different kind of analysis mm-hmm. you know how mm-hmm. he weighs like this many punchlines this many similes, of course of course of course like that course. like yeah super super nerdy obviously i know he has his detractors but i always think it's interesting that he takes the time to like count the punchlines you know what yeah, i mean like, totally I can't, totally i can't imagine doing that with my life but i do <laughs> i do find the data to be interesting 100 percent. i mean but that's once we get the data and you kind of look at it as a from a glance you know um, after a while, I mean, statistics, there's a, t- there's a tipping point where it's like, all right, enough. Yeah. You know, just play the game. Yes. But, or just. Like, or is just the song, song good? I don't Right. Care. Totally. 28 totally. similes if the song sucks. Exactly. Exactly. Anything else you've been listening to or anything else like from the last couple of weeks you think is, uh, is noteworthy rap music? Rap wise, I mean, I'm still on that Blue and Exile. I think this is week two of that. Um, we spoke about this one a little bit um, earlier in the year, but the Stove God Cooks, um, I've been really into, but so much so that I've just been checking out the instrumentals. Um, oh, nice. The, the dude's voice can kind of can kind of grind. Um, even though I like his uh, personality and the persona that he brings. Yeah. Yeah, man, some of those beats are so good. So I've just been checking for the instrumentals a lot and it makes for really good sort of um, working music, you know? So I'm on my laptop and I got some kind of uh, slow beats in the background um, that can be lush or kind of minimalistic too at certain points. So yeah. they're both, uh, it works. It works for me. That's what I've been listening to. Um, sort of to your point earlier, I've been listening to a lot of non-hip hop stuff the last couple of weeks. So. And that's always really refreshing to dive back into, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, what about yourself, Nate? Um, I, what you I really into? like the production, but not the full musical experience of the new Haim album. 
Like they have wow, this really okay. interesting drum sound. They had this song called Summer Girl that actually came out quite a bit before the summer, I think around the holidays that kind of set the tone for this project. And there's like weird, like kind of like AM gold, like saxophone and these really slappy drums. Okay. And I don't like every track, but I liked enough of it to like listen to it as an album. And I'm like, oh man, like quarantine is like pushing me in these weird directions. <laughs> and then Dude, like, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. You would think I would like the national and bon Iver, and i actually do like a little bit of the early bon Iver, but like i so i tried the taylor swift album Oof. couldn't do it dude that first of all it's not an indie album no matter who co-writes the songs with her because it's so cleanly recorded right so right. glimmering it's like you don't go into the woods and make some kind of like shimmering totally <laughs> pop thing you know what i mean like it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. you gotta bring a four track or something if you really want that grit that kind of defines like indie music not that people don't have access to computers or laptops it's a bit of an oversimplification but i've, I've never really understood her music i think she's both overly praised and overly reviled like she's just so big that people mm -hmm. print their like emotions onto her but when i heard she had made like kind of like a foresty indie folk album i'm like oh, i have to listen to that okay okay made it through one and a half songs swiftly turned it off swiftly turned it off <laughs> exactly i've uh, been listening to this uh charlie magira record um that numero group uh re-released oh um, nice it is fucking fascinating firstly I, n I never knew about the dude so i mean he's like this israeli born um, bedroom musician who did sort of slow surf music instrumentals and dark sort of joy division sounding stuff oh you um, just that link dude yeah totally it's really good it's another a numero sure shot it's great and um it comes with a fantastic booklet and charlie actually um committed suicide in like 2016 or so oh wow so this is um it's not posthumous work but it's it's a collection of his best stuff and it's so so striking dude it's like my favorite shit of like the last few months oh that's amazing i, I definitely need to check that out and I will say I have been listening to the new project of our guest today, Odyssey. Yes, sir. Um, it's he made it. He made a quarantine baby, <laughs> like like Nappy Nina said on the show. His new right. his new album, The Odd Cure, is um, it's a kind of a, a a snapshot of this moment in his life, and I've I've definitely mm -hmm. found it to be compelling. Yeah, I mean, once again, he's proving how solid and even-handed he is over and over um uh, you know the, the rapping parts are great the production is great i didn't get a chance to look at the credits to see exactly who did what on what but um the overall vibe of it i like um and you know we, we've been checking for checking for odyssey you know for quite a while so it's good to it's good to get him on the program yeah um so that interview is coming up now with um rapper producer artist and um just like very interesting person, Odyssey, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad bod rap pod every week we have dope interviews and this week is not not any different we have 
Odyssey producer, rapper extraordinaire out of Brooklyn by way of DC. And uh, whose new album, Odd Cure, we've been really big fans of, been checking it out, been checking this guy out for years. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank y'all for having me, man. Um, isn't it PG County, not DC? Should we get into it? Oh, is that? <laughs> I, there's a moment on the new record where he talks about making the documentary, and that's where Kevin Durant is from. So gotcha. we're, we're Warriors fans, and we heard a lot about yeah. PG County for a couple of years. But you tell us, man. Is that's it, a good springboard. Is that yeah. where you're from? That's, you know what? That's absolutely correct. I'm from Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, for those outside of the area, the minute you say you're from Maryland, people think that you're from Baltimore. Mm. And uh, I'm from a suburb of Washington, D.C. So oftentimes we'll say D.C. for people outside from from the mid-Atlantic area who have no idea what Prince George's County is. Uh, (laughs) But uh, thanks to Kevin Kevin Durant, I think more and more people (laughs) know about PG now, uh, the real Wakanda, you know. Nice, nice. (laughs) Um, So let's, let's get into the new record. It is called Odd Cure. And um, it, it sounds and it is presented like it was kind of made um, with these times in mind or perhaps under the conditions of these times. And certainly there's, there's a lot of moments, interstitial stuff of you calling and checking in on your family and friends and how they're handling the current moment. Um, can you just kind of give us clarification? Like, were the songs crafted during this time as well? Or did you kind of wrap the, the, the quarantine era um, stuff around it? And then I guess just kind of like, had you planned to put it out or did you do it because this moment presented itself? Sure. I scrapped what I was working on when I came home from Thailand on March 9th. And I was quarantined to my studio for 14 days as instructed by my wife. Uh, She said, you know, I understand that you're going to go abroad uh, at this time and, you know, make a living, but we want to live when you come back. So um, she said uh, I had to quarantine myself in my studio. So I did for 14 days. And that is when this record was conceived, produced, written, recorded, and mixed. Wow. Wow. And just a straight one-man show? No, no. I was lucky. I was unfortunately lucky to be quarantined with my engineer. Gotcha. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, my, my, my engineer, uh, his name is uh, Elphick Woe. He, he goes by the artist named Delph. He is originally from Hong Kong mm-hmm. and had decided to move to New York uh, just before the pandemic, towards the winter of 2019. And uh, I met him in that summer of 2019. I met him earlier than in Hong Kong at a festival. We had a mutual acquaintance. I was looking for an engineer. Uh, one of my favorite engineers is his uh, mentor, and Delph was his apprentice. So I lucked up with this guy, decided that he wanted to live in New York. Uh, we were already working out me sponsoring him and bringing him to America to be my engineer full time. Paperwork had already been done, et cetera. COVID hits. He comes back from Hong Kong. Uh, he quarantined at my studio for two weeks uh, before I ever got back. Mm. And uh, when I said, hey, man, last minute show in Thailand, I'm going out to go get a bag. He's like, what? You're going to Thailand now? I was like, yeah, a bunch of people have dropped out of festivals because they're scared. And uh, Mm. I get to make headline money for nothing. Like, 
I just get to go out and do like 40 minute sets. It's oh, five wow. cities. Wow. Um, mind you, I had five cities, but by the end of it, all but one city canceled. Every, wow. every city, Jakarta canceled, Kuala Lumpur canceled, Manila canceled, Singapore canceled. The only one that didn't cancel was Bangkok. And uh, I went around the world to do one show. I'm, I trust you, it was worth it. <laughs> and uh, when I came back, I said, listen, and I got a quarantine. It's up to you. You want to go stay at your girlfriend's house or not? Um, he's like, listen, it's all good. I'll stay here. And I was like, you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll be fine. I was like, all right. So we quarantined in the studio and I would write, I would make a beat and write to that beat. And while I was writing to that beat, I would export it to him and he would start mixing the beat. Mm. And when I finished writing, he would record me and he'd continue mixing the song as I was working on the next track. Wow. And yeah. That was <laughs> that. Was that. <laughs> yeah. That is mad efficient, man. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you, let's just dive into your working process just a little bit more. Um, you know, obviously you, you can produce and write and rap. Um, which is, which is, you know, which is, which gets you more excited? Um, lacing a rapper with, with a beat or you getting to attack a beat? Honestly, I, I haven't had a chance to lace many rappers with beats, uh, but I will say that I love equally producing and writing. They're two sides of the same coin for me. Like they really mm. give me the same feeling. I'll be walking down the street and I'll have a melody come to my head and I'll hum it in my phone and then I'll go into the studio and compose it. Oh, wow. I could be walking, I could be walking down the street and I have a bar come in my head and I pull over and I open up my notes and I write it down. And it's the same feeling same explosions go off in the brain the same feeling of reward happens mm. and uh it, it really comes together when the songs are complete i do say that i really love songs i'm not a very big beats and rhymes type of hip-hop artist mm. uh it does really nothing for me when i hear amazing lyricism over lackluster production or amazing production with lackluster lyricism i'm really more so impressed by overall the end product Right. So I, I really love just songs, songs more than anything. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, um, sort of on sort of on that tangent, um, you know, uh, Nate and I were talking about just you know the recent influx of quality, quality music, quality rap and stuff. Um, what yeah. artists are you checking for these days? Oh man, um, I like Bad Bad Not Good, fifteen hundred and nothing. Mm. I like uh, Butcher Brown. Um, what else am I listening to these days? I like Saba, Smino. Mm. Uh, yeah, those to name a few. I really like those guys a lot. So, nice. so right on, man. Um, let's talk about a song from the new record. I would love to hear the kind of story behind or uh, the creation tale of Go to Mars. Uh, we've been talking about wanting to escape. We just did a whole segment on needing a, a kind of digital detox and needing to get out into the woods and get away from just the monotony of our current lives. Like, and like the, that feeling and the kind of that joy of that escape, I feel like was evident in a song like that. Can you talk us through a little bit about um, what went into the making of that one? Yeah. Uh, I really love hearing other people's perspectives of, my music it's the best so let's get into it uh, go to mars is about 
It's a metaphor for the 1% and their ability to escape the woes and tribulations of the average person and uh, how they metaphorically live on Mars now while the rest of us have no way to get on board, let alone sustain ourselves in the, the new world that they inhabit. A, a whitey's uh, on the moon scenario. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. More, yeah, more so it's just, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a true metaphor for the world that the 1% lives in. The subject matter came about when I was, I think I was watching either The Daily Show or A Closer Look, and it was talking about the growing economic gaps that uh, COVID-19 had kind of ripped the Band-Aid off of to see mm-hmm. this actually is not a great equalizer, uh, that people who are wealthy are actually getting wealthier in a time where there's 40 million plus people unemployed, you know? and. It made me reflect on that, where it's like they really live within a world of their own, within this world. And here we are trying to go to Mars, where there are people who essentially live in their own, you know, fortresses of worlds right here on Earth. And I really wondered about minorities, in particular the Black community, who do all that they can to be accepted by that 1% and pray that they can get on board that ticket that allows them to uh, escape the squalor and the trials and tribulations of the average person. So the song is actually written from the perspective of a black man who feels as though he played by the rules and life still cheated him and then decides to try to join the 1% and uh, become a bigot and do anything that he can to escape the life that he uh, grew up in. Wow. That so is that's, so interesting. That was a totally different, that was, <laughs> I was nowhere near that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, I, I write in layers. Um, I'm a big fan of the Simpsons and I write in layers <laughs> so that uh, you get different levels of it where definitely it's an escapism song in a time where everyone wants to escape. That's the first level, layer. And then the second layer is it's a metaphor for the 1%. And then the third layer is uh, the deepest where it's a self-hatred in minority communities who do manage to make it into the upper class or into the 1% and how they turn their backs on the people who share their same shared history. For so sure. it's like a three-level meaning to it. So yeah, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. <laughs> um, have you ever seen that movie Elysium? It's a Matt Damon movie. It's the guy who did District 9, Neil Blomkamp's, like, sophomore movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's no, not no, a good movie, this. but it, it, it illustrates a similar points to what you're talking about. And Elysium is their 1% off-planet world. It, worth a yeah. watch if the, you're on that wavelength yeah. already. Uh, but don't yeah. expect a good movie, but it has some interesting no, I think I, I think <laughs> I saw that, and I also watched that Brazilian series three percent that was on netflix that was Mm. also similar to that subject matter gotcha and uh yeah there there are people who are willing to sell themselves and a lot of other people with them to metaphorically go to mars right yeah Yeah. wow i'm glad i asked that is fascinating (laughs) Uh, super fascinating dave yeah um you know honestly um since we got you on the program um i just want i just want to let people I want to let you have a chance to let people know about your music. Um, can you let, just let the folks know what Diamond District is about and maybe what they should check for? 
It sounds like you want them to know about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning this camera. Yeah, I would have. I would have just talked about my album. Oh no, no. No, it's fine by me. Do you, do you want me to? You want me to talk about some of like my press projects and stuff? Yeah, totally. I just want. Sure. Um, you know, usually when we have guests on, I, I, it's I, I view it as an educational thing. You know, and I just sure, want people to sure. learn about your history. So yeah, that's it. sure. Yeah, man. Um, I'll try to sum it up. So. Uh, from Prince George's County, Maryland. Grew up next door neighbors with Gary Scheider and his two sons, Marshall and Garrett. Uh, I know him as Mr. Scheider, but he was a musician in Parliament and Funkadelic. Mm -hmm. He's a guy who wore the diaper on stage. Um, so my first uh, exposure to uh, music was in his studio. He had a full analog studio in the basement. We'd come home from school and me and his sons would just jam. Mm. Uh, drum machines, uh, ADAT tapes, you know, full on mixer boards, no loops in sight, just tapping stuff out by hand. Uh, from there, got into a high school uh, hip hop crew and I started rapping with local guys in my neighborhood and in my county. And once we kind of got our stuff together and I was in a crew called Low Budget Crew in the beginning of my uh, career with uh, my man, Kevin Brown, if you ever heard of Kev Brown. Um, uh, Kev Brown got his start in a touch of jazz with DJ Jazzy Jeff producing for the likes of De La Soul, uh, Bumpy Knuckles, Jazzy Jeff himself, et cetera. And it was Kev Brown who extended a handout to me. I played my first music for Jeff. Uh, I had my first paid song when Jazzy Jeff's The Magnificent album. From there, I got picked up by indie label in New York called Half Tooth Records. Mm -hmm. And um, I put out a sev several releases with them I went independent for a while, bounced around doing releases with different labels uh, on the West Coast, Japan, Europe, yeah, New York. Um, from there, we start to get the direct fan marketing start to emerge with the likes of MySpace, things like that. I gravitated towards it very early on and used it to self-promote directly to fans and book my own shows. I started doing my own tours in Europe through MySpace in 2006. Mm. I was booking about 20 odd city tours through MySpace and sleeping on promoters' couches. Um, <laughs> 700 euros a show, one-way one train tickets, that's all they had to pay for. I had a nice little hustle. Uh, I had a Euro pass, which was unlimited travel for a month, covered. Mm -hmm. I paid for it up front, then I tell the promoters, all you have to do is give me 700 euro and pay for a one-way ticket. <laughs> so I made, the, I made the Euro money back super fast, like two, three trips. Nice. And then they thought they were getting a deal, but the exchange rate was crazy high back then. So 700 was over a grand in the States. You know, I could go over there, make just as much money on a show, just um, re getting reimbursed with the one-way tickets. And then I'd come <laughs> back with the money and then I'd, do, I'd sell merch. And it was at that point uh, I started observing kind of a resurgence in, I guess what you could just call boom bap hip hop. Mm -hmm. And I, the reason why I was attracted to it, because I always like to go the opposite direction of what everybody else is doing. And I felt uh, it was at that time, mind you, I'm a fan of like all forms and music and subgenres of hip hop as well. And that particular time it was like the mid 2000s going into 2010, rap had become pretty ambient with the likes of Hudson Mohawk, Flying Lotus, et cetera. Um, we had a little bit of a, a moment where rap was very electronic. So in that moment where those artists were receiving the most attention, I wanted to do a throwback record to something that sounded completely analog as a way to be a juxtaposed to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I went back home to DC. I hooked up with my longtime uh, 
friend's ex on YU. And I said, though, let's form a group called Diamond District because DC is shaped like a diamond. Uh, and uh, it's the District of Columbia. And uh, I said, let's do a boom bap hip hop record because DC's never had one. You know, if we go back into the 90s, I know where Queens Bridge is, where Marcy Projects and right. Linden Boulevard and Watts and Crenshaw and Fifth Ward and Magnolia. <laughs> and we don't have that record in DC where we shout out neighborhoods, blocks, cities, people. We rap in our accent, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, let's do this record. And we did it. We liked it. Q-Tip liked it. Primo liked it. Uh, and we found ourselves touring that around the world. And it became a, a very much a cult classic amongst people who were into that sound of music. And a, a lot more records since then. Yeah. <laughs> dope, man. Dope. That is an exceptional <laughs> answer. We asked a lot of people a lot of questions. And uh, you, you had that ready to go. And I appreciate it. Thank you for that. Uh, no worries. No worries. Um, I, I think I stopped at like 2010. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, <all> right. <laughs> so we need to be on your podcast because that's a good segue <laughs> into my next question, which is my favorite record of yours is Rock Creek Park, and um, I, I think that's there you where go. I yeah. picked up the the thread of um, what was going on. I was a record store buyer, and in that world, you get a lot of promos and you get access to a lot of music. But I was also incredibly jaded, so it was kind mm. of like a it was like a breath of fresh air to get this sure. kind of self produced analog feeling um, musical hip hop project. And I guess what I wanted to ask you is, it seems like live textural elements of actual um, musical instruments is a really big part of your process. Do you play them or do you hire that out? Do you sample yourself? Like, I I guess I'm, if you don't mind giving us a peek behind the curtain, how do you get that great texture? Sure, Uh, I do everything in Pro Tools. I work with MIDI instruments first and electronic instruments, and I do root notes and pretty basic chord progressions. Sometimes I'll start with samples and I'll build around the samples, sometimes not. Uh, In the end, it's a skeleton track. Mm. And uh, my band that I tour with, Good Company Band, they play on every record. It's uh, Dennis Turner on bass, John Lane on drums, Ralph Real on keys, DJ Unknown on electronic triggers and samples, and uh, Olivier Saint-Louis on guitar and vocals so my normal process is i'm in new york i chop up samples i compose them i play midi instruments over top of them stop call ralph he either comes up or we do remote access uh where i control his desktop from brooklyn and Mm. uh he's in york pennsylvania and uh he hears the chords i play and he's like all right i know those chords and then he plays them. he has a finger work in between and uh we work on harmonies and once he's done, he sends me back the MIDI. And then I'm the one who ends up picking the final sounds and how it's EQ'd. Once that's done, same thing with Dennis Turner, my bassist. I'm actually in his basement right now. We just had rehearsal. Nice. Uh, mm. And uh, Dennis will play bass on tracks in same situation. I'm just playing root notes with a, a sub, some type of sign bass. And uh, I call him up and say, that's the idea. I'd like to hum and hum it to you because I can't read music. He hears, he's like, oh, yo, he's flat D minor, just haven't got it. <laughs> and he sends it back to me, and then that's done. And then I send it to Olivier. He's in Berlin. And I said, I'm looking for a rhythm section that has this syncopation and in these chords. And then I sing it. He says, okay, I know those chords. He plays it, and he's like, like this? I'm like, yeah, like that. Like, like right. this? I'm like, no. And he finishes it, and then he sends it. And he always, uh, I, everyone does everything dry. Uh, every, everybody's EQs have to be dry, no delays, no effects. 
uh, I like to do all of that myself. So it's very much samples, MIDI tracks, one by one with my band. Then I remove the, uh, the MIDI and the samples. And then I commit to the wave audio. And then now I no longer mix. I have someone else. D Delph started mixing. I needed to like mm. decrease my workload. I'm wearing two yeah. hats these days. Right. Um, so it sounds musical because it is. <laughs> is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah, there you go. Excellent explanation. I think um, I think the people who listen to this who are producers or aspiring producers are going to get a lot out of that because you have a distinctive sound and it it uh, it sounds like it's um it was hard won through trial and error and like you you've got a process you know, that works for you. It's a sound that's um it's based off compounded experience. I can't mm. stress that enough where sure you can understand like the basis on how it's conceived, but the compound experience of listening to music growing up, listening to what my parents were listening to and absorbing seventies and eighties music and it being imprinted in my brain, being next door neighbors with Mr. Scheider and making analog music and mixing on analog boards, having beat machines at a time where beat machines were king from, you know, Pete Rock to DJ Premier and Jay Dilla. Uh, then transitioning into like a Neo Soul era and getting my start in Philly with a, a touch of jazz with Jazzy Jeff and humanizing uh, MIDI bass and triggered production, transitioning into DAW and realizing that you can achieve swing and a higher, like a warmer quality sound, even though it's all electronic, based on just understanding those records. Mm -hmm. and being from D.C. and growing up in an environment of live music uh, with go-go music being our local music uh, over electronic music and now working with a band. So it's that those things together that help it sound the way it does as well, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just to bring it back to the new record, um, how do your family and friends feel about being featured on uh, vocally on one of your projects? <laughs> did you play it back for them? Did you, did, did you tell uh, your grandma you're going to use it? Like, <laughs> I, I didn't. She's actually the only one I didn't tell. So everyone else, when the conversations were done and I hung the phone up, I called them back and said, hey, I just recorded our conversation. Is that okay? And everyone was like, I didn't say anything crazy, did I? I was like... No, no, you're good. You're good. It's like, can I use it? They were like, yeah, of course. But I didn't tell grandma. Um, grandma was surprised. Yeah, yeah. She, she loved it. She played it back over and over because she's never really heard her voice played back to her like that. Yeah, I, I will say <laughs> I, I listened to your record. I was on a long walk. And when it, when the record was done, I immediately switched apps and called my grandma. Like, it, it, like, it was like I had done that kind of at the beginning of the quarantine, but I hadn't done yeah. it in a while. And I was like, dude, I'm overdue. I got to call my grandma. And tell her, just just check yeah, in. Man. And it was about the same length of phone call. It's just like, you good? I'm good. You good? All right. Yeah. Yeah, there, funny, so. like, my grandmother's not a phone person. She's really quick on the phone. She's one of the most busiest 89-year-olds I know. Like, she doesn't, like, she's got some story she's watching, some game show uh, rehearsal for church. She still, she still plays organs in, in her church and keys. Wow. You know, like, she's a very busy woman. She still drives and gets her own groceries. Dope. You know? No, no. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, I mean, you mentioned that you were at uh, rehearsal right now. Um, since Cure just came out and people are still sort of absorbing that right now, um, what are you working on? I have another EP coming out in probably a month or more, maybe five weeks max. 
And then after that, I have a full length album coming out in late September, early October. So So I'm finishing those things. And then I got a bunch of other releases. By the time 2020 is near done, I should have about 40 songs out. Wow. Okay. Perfect. Um, I I guess it won't matter because people didn't hear it, but I'm just curious. And I feel like this is a good way to wrap the conversation up. Are you returning to what you were working on pre pandemic or are yes. you scrapping yes. those forever okay. no, no 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 i'm returning i'm returning to those things that's okay. why i've got so much music now yeah, yeah right on sure. yeah well yeah. um we yeah. are excited to listen to it um you were a, an excellent interview and um i i just i think um it's rare to find someone who can explain what they do so succinctly and so i just appreciate the like peak and thanks man yeah, yeah totally yeah. thanks guys i appreciate yeah. you we, guys. we get a lot thanks of like oh you know all right you know what i'm saying it's like no <laughs> no Listen, at all <laughs> i i i just uh uh my band just did an interview um and uh i told them i really want you guys to do this interview because and i want you to do it without me because you need to get better at interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, again, this is just compounding experience and media training. Like, right. being con- you got to be concise. You know, you got a product to sell, sell it, give a backstory so people are interested. You know the deal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to show too much on how the magic trick is done. So, yeah, yeah, no. like uh, uh, <laughs> uh, really nice to talk to you, really into the new project. Can't wait to hear the rest of what you've got to come out soon. So, appreciate it. Thank you guys very Peace, much. Odyssey. I appreciate y'all time, man. Y'all right. be safe. Okay. Thank you so much, man. Peace. Peace. Take Later. Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our interview with Odyssey, the precise, technical, but soulful producer rapper who I feel like we learned a lot about. Totally. I loved his, I, I loved like the thoughtfulness of his answers and the sort of pacing of, uh, of his sentences. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and he even he even revealed that he was talking to his band a little bit about how to approach interviews and stuff. And you can see by his you know thoughtfulness um, and his approach of just uh, it's something he's practiced before. You know and, what I mean? And like being a good interview is a good way to get people to write about you. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's 100%. worth investing in, I guess. I would say for other artists who who might be listening, like. For us, from our point of view, that was an excellent interview because he considered the question. Right. He had something to say and he said it in a way that was usable for us. Like whether exactly. if we were writing a print article, it would be even more helpful for that. With a, with a podcast, you can just kind of riff and talk. But man, he, I was really, really impressed with some of his answers. And like, he he is like a business. Right, right. I mean, he was talking about going to thailand to get a bag you know what i mean and totally. and, how, and how the effects of covid sort of encroached on everything um fascinating and you know he was actually at rehearsal when we talked to him so um people who are really into the new record um there's more stuff on the way 
Yeah, it seems like there's there's a lot of new Odyssey tracks coming coming our way, which is just good for everybody. Um, gonna switch gears a little bit. We've got um, a guest who is from the podcast universe. Um, Dave, this is someone you know a little bit better than I do. Why don't you tell the people who's up next? Uh, we got the one and only Morgan Rhodes, and even if you don't. Even if her name doesn't ring a bell immediately, her voice I'm sure does. If you've heard Heat Rocks, um, her wonderful podcast with Oliver Wong, um, they have ridiculous guests all the time, and they just nerd out. It's it's in many ways um, a high level podcast. I mean, it, it's just it, it's a pleasurable listen every time. Um, she is also a music supervisor. She's involved in a lot of Netflix stuff, um, Dear White People. She's involved in this upcoming project called Vinyl Nation that she talks about. And um, yeah, man, just really looking forward to um, hearing more. Yeah, from we, what she we does. love Heat Rocks. Um, Dave was uh, invited to be a guest and that was a big moment for all of us as like kind of a show. Hearing Morgan say Dad Bod Rap Pod on yes. Heat Rocks, I like immediately went in and <laughs> the audio. I'll just listen to it sometimes. <laughs> I, I love her voice. We used it as a drop on a mix we did. Um, she's just like such a cool person. I had never met her before today. It's so weird. lovely. I, don't, I still don't know if it counts that we've met or not now that we've Zoomed. Right. I don't right. know where the, the semantic line on that is. But um, I'm, yeah, it, it's, we just kind of got off. The, the call with her. And so we're doing this a little bit backwards, but it's the next interview. So why don't you guys check this out and we'll come back for a little wrap up segment afterwards. This is our interview with music supervisor and podcast host, Morgan Rhodes, dad, bud, wrap up. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we're here this week again with an amazing guest. Every week we bring you either writers, journalists, producers, rappers, but we ultimately give you the good, the best musical minds. This week we have Morgan Rhodes, music supervisor, host of Heat Rocks with Oliver Wong, and just an incredible person. Good to have, it. Good to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I'm doing, doing well considering all. Just, just happy, <laughs> considering I'm just happy to be here. Right on, right on. Uh, Nate, you want to just lead off with a couple sure. questions? Sure. So, um, Morgan, if you would, uh, just give it to our, uh, hopefully our listeners are familiar with Heat Rocks, but if they are not, can you give them the kind of, what, what's the show about? How did you and Oliver connect? And like, what's the kind of uh, the hook of Heat Rocks that makes it the special music podcast that it is? Sure. Um, Oliver and I met while we were doing a segment called Tuesday Reviews Day on radio station KPCC. And um, I had never met him before, and we got paired together. Um, I don't know if it's because we were both talking about black music. He was talking about hip hop, and I was sort of talking about uh, what we call left field soul or, or avant-garde R&B. And uh, it was cool. We did that show together for four years. And before we knew that the segment was going to come to an end, he was like, you know, do you want to do a podcast? And I was like, man, that's not me. I don't, you know, I'm not into podcasts. I don't listen to podcasts or whatever. Uh, 
but I like talking to him about music. So we did a pilot episode about the chronic because at that time it was the 25th um, anniversary. And we did it with a, with one of his friends, Lauren. And it was, it was a fun experience talking about it. And I'm from LA. So I had a lot of fun revisiting the album. Mm. And, uh, and then Heat Rocks has been going on for three years. It was originally, we originally thought, well, we'll just talk about it. You know, we'll just talk about music, me and you. And then I thought, well, let's have the opportunity to give artists a chance to be generous to other artists because so often artists get asked in interviews like who influenced you and a lot of those people are no longer here. Mm. And so we wanted to give artists an opportunity to be generous and shout out people who are still alive to hear because everybody needs to know at some point that people like what you do. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how it was conceptualized. And our first um, episode was with Joy, um, who chose a Betty Davis album. And it just went from there. Then we had Dame Funk, and it just, it's just turned into to something. I mean, I love talking about music, and um, I'm just a music music fan. Oliver's the, the scholar. I'm just a geek. But, it, it, you know, I just, just, you know, just relentless factoids that have no place other than a discussion about music. <laughs> with somebody as, as smart as Oliver. So it's worked out. We've been doing it and, and uh, so far so good. Dope, dope. Well, you know, um, I, I was lucky enough and honored enough to be on the program and talk about Liquid Swords with you guys. I had a blast. And you know, yeah. the, like you were saying, I mean, the concept is somebody goes on the program and picks an album to sort of get, sort of nerd out over. Um, what would your album be if you were on Heat Rocks? Not fair, man. <laughs> That's not fair. Maybe even a couple. Uh, you know, it's so, so, I've been so blessed on the show because so many people have picked things that I would talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a show with uh, Cy Smith. She picked Michelle and Daniel Cello's Plantation Lullabies. So that would have been on. Mm. One of my, co- my colleagues who's a music supervisor, Kira Lehman, he chose Steely Dance Asia. That would have been a pick. Um, wow. uh, we talked to Ali Shaheed Muhammad about All in All, Earth, Wind & Fire's All in All. That would have been a pick. Um, you talked about Liquid Swords. I love Jizza. He's my favorite. Yeah. Um, you know, that would have been a pick. Um, I'm sort of waiting for someone to get deep into Mary J. Blige's catalog. We sort of touched on what's the 411, but I'd like okay. to do Share My World, Mary, um, you know, That My Life. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, uh, any fusion, any of the weather report I'd like to get into. Um, no one's really picked a gospel album except Van Hunt. So no one's really touched any of the icons. And gosh, for hip hop, we're sorting we're starting to get into to Outcast now. So we just did a we just did a Quemini. And we did Speaker Box Love Below. And uh, either one of those would have been, been my pick. So I think we've covered. I think we're <laughs> we're circling circling that wagon mm-hmm. but it would be tough it's hard to pick your favorites i just love so much so much music it, it'd be hard for me to pick right totally and i, and I wouldn't have expected a different answer i mean it's it's so hard you know what i mean um you know i just to give people a little bit of a background so you started off in radio and then transitioned to super music supervision i did random and i, and I tell this story a lot because i get asked about it a lot but I think the benefit of, of, of sharing my story is to know that there's, there's no one avenue into this business, um, or for that matter, in, this, in these times, no other business. 
And I started, started in radio and got into radio because I wanted to do voiceover. And I wasn't a huge fan of my voice, but I was a fan of what I heard the salary was. And I was like, That's, you know, this is it. This is it for me, right? So um, my friend, and I've said this often before, said, well, what you need to do is just go up to a radio station and just hang out and talk a lot, you know, whenever you have an opportunity. And I was like, is that it? She was like, that's all you got to do. And, I, you know, I believed her. You know, I was like, you know what, you look legit. I believe that it was possibly the worst career advice I could have gotten um, for, for, for voiceover. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it led me to music supervision. So I started at KCRW, uh, went to KPFK, and that's when it happened, happened for me, just a random audition for a show, and then sort of the rest was history. Dope, dope. So everyone tells us that music supervision is more than being a music nerd and picking the right song for the right moment, that a ton of it is the logistics, getting clearance, um, kind of uh, working within the budget and the framework of the production. And we're, we're huge music heads. I, I, I think we both think we would love to pick music for music or TV shows someday. We've never taken any steps to get into it at all, but can you kind of demystify um, the, the art of what you do on the, on the various um, film and TV projects and just kind of tell people what really goes into being a music supervisor in 2020? Sure, sure. Well, a bit of a, bit of a, a cliche that we say around the business that music supervisors have um, the most responsibility and the least authority. So part of what you have to do is um, diplomacy has to be your strong suit mm. uh, in terms of dealing with all the people that you deal with. On a film, you'll deal with, uh, with a studio and also um, the director and producers. Part of your responsibility is not just to to find songs, right? If they're just needle drops, finding songs for places. Mm-hmm. But you have, to, you have to clear the music and that comes down to two sides, the master side, which is the recording and the publishing, which, is the, which, is, which are the writers. Uh, what you've chosen, there might be 10 writers on that song. And if nine of them say yes and one says no, you still can't use it, it isn't a majority thing. And so you get into deadlines. Um, so you have to clear it. You have to do cue sheets. You have to work with the composer to make sure that all the cues are accounted for, not just the needle drops, but the score cues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to go to what we call our spotting sessions, which is you, the director, sometimes the showrunner, you sit in a room, you go through a picture and you sort of decide, do we like this here or do we want something else? Um, and a lot of those decisions are informed by your budget. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, I walked into um, a session one time and one of the editors had put like a Jimi Hendrix tracks track in there. I'm not going to say which one because I want to use it again one day. But uh, uh, but he had put put it in there and it just gave me a heart attack because I knew what the budget was. Mm. And I was just like, who put you know who <laughs> who put this in here you know? And the editor was like, well, a lot of people you know like Jimi Hendrix, and I was like, yeah, but we don't have that sort of money. So unfortunately, everyone was in love with that song. Mm. And how can you compete? Like who, who, who's, who's a close second to Jimi Hendrix? Really, no, no one. But, the, but I ended up going with a, with, a, with a blues track in that queue, which really worked. Mm. Thank God. So <laughs> one of the things that you have to do is also negotiate rates with publishers and with labels. Mm. And, there, and there's all this uh, terminology, most favored nations and blah, blah, blah. There's all these kind of rights. But music supervisors also work in different areas like ads, trailers, and games. And gaming is, a, is, a, is the hot new place where music mm. supervisors do work. 
they have gigantic budgets. Mm. Gigantic budgets. And that's why with games, you hear so much rock and hip hop because they can afford it. That's um, fascinating. If you do indie stuff in a game, you're just being a show off because you don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, ah, you know, whatever. But, 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 but they have giant, giant budgets. So, so that's, mm. I, hope, I hope I answered the question. Absolutely, we, you answered the question. I, I, I want to take it in another direction. And I, th this is often my interview style. I'm learning as we were rounding our mid hundreds of episodes here. I'm just going to say a thing and I want you to tell me if it's true or not. Yes. Um, I think one of the reasons that Heat Rocks works so well is that you mentioned earlier you have an intense command of factoids, but what you, to me, what you really bring to the show is this deep appreciation and love of music and what you end up talking about most times is how the music made you feel. And I feel yeah. like that's, um, there's a place for both, but the show wouldn't work without that balance. So yeah. again, that's not a question, but like, <laughs> do you do you agree with my assertion that like the the that um, emotionality and the kind of uh, the where it touches on for people is just as important as knowing who drummed on what and what label it came out on? I, I think it is important, and and what's happened to us in the box sometimes is people have gotten really emotional, and that's the requirement for being being on the show, not just to be, I mean, we could always have the scholars and people that have written books, but our requirement is that think carefully about the album that you choose because we want you to be in love with it, in love with it in ways that you can, this is something that got bumped over and over again, or this is something that you, you can tie a specific memory to. This is why we ask, where'd you get the album and when? Because most of us, and I'm sure you guys are the same, that love music, you can't separate that memory from that record store or that mm -hmm. moment or the car you were in. And when we start off like that, it opens up this portal to for people to draw on. Everybody knows if you've listened to Heat Rocks, my thing with Earth, Wind and Fire and my relationship with my dad, it keeps coming up. Well, my parents were divorced and I didn't see my dad for a long time. So what I had of him was those records. And so that's my portal into talking about it. Earth, Wind & Fire just happens to be a great band. It could have been a hack band that we had in common, right? right. But it isn't. It's Earth, Wind & Fire. And so when we get people to talk about that, I'm not as concerned with um, how smart they are. I'm concerned with how, do you, how did that make you feel? Like, what do you remember? And when you lead with the heart and your feelings, ultimately those factoids come up. You'll be like, and I remember this guitar solo, I remember that, or this, that, and the other. So I think, I think to your point, it has to be emotion first. It really has to be. Because there's, there's smart books written all over the place, but it's how, you, <laughs> it's how you feel about it. Like, for example, when you talked about Liquid Swords, I've sort of been in the closet about my Jizzle love, <laughs> right? Because I feel like he's the people's champ mm -hmm. and sort of the sentimental favorite because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't see him in the same way as charismatic as Method Man. Uh, or, you know, they assign all this stuff to the RZA and, you know, and I'm just like, mm-mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> they don't call him the genius for nothing. Right. Pay, pay attention. And so when you pick Liquid Swords, I was like, <laughs> thank god so. <laughs> no that so, was yeah. so, that was so fun i still think about it all the time it's, it was a really great experience so thank you for having me on again um, sure 
Um, but you know, uh, since we're on that subject, I, what's, what's the working process with you and Oliver like when you guys are preparing for shows and um, just getting ready for like a, for guests and ready to dive into a, an album? Um, that's the first part of the question. The second would be, um, uh, which guest has really struck you through, through the episodes you've done? The process is um, we do our research. Um, Oliver's a sociology professor and he prepares for our shows like a professor. Um, we've got a script um, that, he, that, you know, that he gets together and then we, we don't just riff. We don't, we don't do like that. We have a script and we know what we're gonna ask before we sit down in the booth. Some things are magical, some things just come out organically, mm -hmm. but we know, we know the structure, there's the same framework, your fire track, what's slept on, this in three words, whatever. So there's a certain framework, but our questions are tailored by the album. If this is a reissue, if this is their sophomore album or their debut, if this was a posthumous release or their swan song. So, the, you know, it's structured that way. Um, and then there's the, there's the preparation. We provide a lot of the music in advance because we have to reference something else. We don't want our, our, our editor, our engineer to struggle to find those. So we give him everything right away so we have to cut to it. Mm. And he's got it, right? Especially when, you're, when you got the guest in a box because you don't want to fumble around sort of with that stuff. Right. Um, so that's that. I think the, one of the guests that moved me the most was, I think was Joy talking about Betty Davis and how Betty Davis, we've had a couple of, uh, we sat down with, a, with an artist named Adeline and both she and Joy talked about how the artists they were speaking about gave them permission to be. Mm. And we're, we're talking about black women who had to pave the way, of course, Betty Davis, you know, in the, in the 70s, late 60s, 70s, and Shaka Khan in the 80s. And they both got emotional. So those have been some of the things that have moved me. But also we had um, uh, The Last Poets in and talked about, um, Father MD talked about what's going on. Mm. And to hear him do like spoken word on the spot, I mean, no pressure, it's just The Last Poets, you know. <laughs> um, you know, but it was just so beautiful. And I think, you know, guys, if I'm really honest, like, we are never, we never know what someone's gonna pick. And that's the fun. I, I always try and size someone up and I'll tell Oliver, oh, I already know. Like, <laughs> I already know, like you ain't gotta, you know, I know what's gonna, what they're gonna choose. And I haven't been right one time. And that's the fun of the show. We think we know. And then when we get those emails back from the publicist or their agent or their rep, and we're like, what? A great example was we had the composer Chris Bowers on. And I, and I know him, I've worked with him before. And he's, um, he won the, the Thelonious Monk uh, jazz piano competition, right? Wow. So, so I told Oliver, let's brush up on Thelonious. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not well versed, but get ready. And uh, then his publicist said, Chris wants to talk about section 80. And we, <laughs> and we were like, Kendrick Lamar's section 80? And I'm sure she was like, well, what are they? <laughs> so we were really surprised because I was sure, like sure that he was going to go in that jazz direction. But he brought a lot of jazz to the conversation because what he was trying to tell us was that if you listen carefully, there's so much jazz in Kendrick Lamar and he's such mm -hmm. a composer. Mm -hmm. And I just never would have thought about it. Not for that album, maybe for To Pimp a Butterfly. Right, right. But he, but he pointed out some things that I had never considered for Section 80, and that's what made that 
that episode really fun for us. Oh, that's that's awesome. so dope. Um, I have a question just to kind of bring it back to the music supervisory realm. Would you sure. mind telling us a story of like one that was just a home run? Like you just <laughs> nailed it. Like you just felt like you found the perfect cue. It fit the budget and like it, it was the cut at the right time. Do you have something like that you could tell us about? Yep. Yep. An, an end credit song that I found for the third season of Dear White People. And it's a scene where the main character, Lionel, has over the course of these episodes, has really stepped into his sexuality. It was rough, rough going at first, but he's finally embraced himself, embraced, you know, his sexuality, and he's on campus, he's living his best life. So there's a montage scene where he's walking through campus and he's just looking at all these guys and you know they're attractive and you can just see the look on his face and i don't know what we had there but years ago and this is some geek thing that i do i'm super old school you probably can see this but i have a lot of these and inside i'll have right <laughs> super um it's about paper right so i i walk around with these and i write down songs that i'll use someday if i have the opportunity i have like 10 of these just mm. random i'll hear something or I'll find something on discogs and i had found this song um, called, by the Miracles called, um, Ain't Nobody Straight in LA. And not that many people knew, knew about it. When I heard it, I was like, <gasps> I just had that feeling. I was like, I don't know when I'm gonna use it. And it's older, I think it might, might be 1972, whatever. And it worked. And we, we used it for the montage and we used it for the end credit. And mm. the chorus is homosexuality is a part of society. And just sitting in the spotting session and have everybody sing that, you know, <laughs> was a really good feeling. It was good for me because every music supervisor, once you get to know us, we all have our calling card of the things that we like to do. Um, I come from indie radio, so my sensibilities are indie. Um, and I'm only in it to break artists. That's the joy of this job. Mm. I'd rather have, and I've said this often, I'd rather have somebody say, who was that? Then that's my jam. Mm. Um, because I, want, I really want to, even somebody like the Miracles who people know but don't know that song. So I want to pull things out of, pull the covers off of things. And that was just one that worked. And I, got, I get asked about that all the time. And that was the miracles. You know? Yeah, I got chills oh, uh, wow. when you were describing the spotting yeah. session. So yeah, that, that sounds amazing. I need to go back and rewatch that uh, with yeah. knowledge. I, uh, <laughs> it's a very good show, and I think your work is amazing on it. It has a very um, noticeable, like um, I don't know what like the word the word is like a consistency. Um, where the, the the music is just excellent in it, and I all often Shazam things as I watch a show I like, and you know I'm sure that's kind of what what people are reaching for is like who was Thank that? You. How do I find out more mm. about this artist? And it just adds to the repertoire. So Thank yeah, it's you. impressive. I appreciate that. Thank you, um, Morgan. Can you um, talk a little bit about Vinyl Nation because? Um, you know, uh, Nay and I, we, we both collect records and Oliver the Scholar also does. And, you know, we're just like little record nerds, but I couldn't find that much information about it. Um, can you break it down and just give people a peek of what that's about and everything that's coming up with it? Sure. Vinyl Nation is about this second generation of vinyl co collectors who got into vinyl when vinyl made its resurgence. So mm. 
it, it, it starts off, it opens with record store days around the world, around the country. And it talks to this, this new generation of fans, including little kids, and talks to them about their, you know, what's drawn them to, 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 to buy records. It's so beautiful. It's so sweet to see the kids that are buying their first. I mean, it's just such a sweet, sweet way to open the film. It is also about record pressing plants who, before I worked on Vinyl Nation, I really was ignorant about the landscape of that industry. In my mind, I saw these big warehouses. I thought, every record pressing plant looks like Costco, and there's a whole bunch of people inside, and it, and it really isn't. This industry was carried by mom and pop plants in various places in the country who thought that their business was done because people weren't buying records, right? So they laid off tons of people and they closed shops. And then Urban Outfitters, places like Urban Outfitters start, started selling turntables, pink and blue and green. And all these kids started getting interested in vinyl. There's three or four kids in here. There's one kid in, in the film that's like, you know, he's like, listen, I, sometimes I listen to classic rock and he starts naming down. He's like, he's like, other times I'm into Bo, I'm into, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> you got an eight year old kid, but that's what, I mean, but his, his ear is like crazy. Right. And these are, you know, he started collecting records because it came back into vogue. Right. So vinyl, vinyl Nation is about what happened to these plants? How did they meet the demand? Because when it opened up, the floodgates, floodgates opened up. Right. But also, too, about how people are starting to get into vinyl again. And what right. does that mean for those of us that love vinyl to have this next generation be as interested in it as, as they are. It, it was a wonderful thing to be a part of. And it was supposed to roll out at the festivals, but then COVID happened. So that's why you have, we don't have a release date for it yet because it hasn't been acquired yet. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, I, I, was, I was grasping for any information I could find, but couldn't really get too much. So thanks yeah. for breaking that down. Sure. Um, that's, that sounds so beautiful. I mean, these kids have a head start. I wish I did. <laughs> I mean, you have, I, I can't wait till you see it because it's just so endearing to hear the kids. I mean, it's just, and they're standing in line waiting for the stores to open. You talk to the record store owners. Mm. You guys know what vinyl means. You know how it feels to get those records. Yes. And to, it's part to, of my life. It's just, and to watch little kids be excited like that, it just, it was a fun project to work on. Now that, that sounds, sounds so moving. Well, um, more, is there anything else um, you could sort of um, let us know that you're working on? Um, anything you want to get out there in terms of projects you're excited about or just, I don't know, or just the record of the week you want people to check out? Oh, man. Um, I'm working on the fourth and final season of Dear White People. Fourth and final. <laughs> <laughs> It's a big chapter coming to a close. Yeah, it is, but it it it's so on brand because uh, the kids will be in their senior year. So this is for the four years that they've been in college. Yeah. So so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm working on um, a film for Netflix called Mixtape, which is about uh, an orphaned twelve year old girl. Uh, it's set in 1999, and she's being raised by her grandmother because her parents. Um, got killed when she was a baby and she stumbles around in the basement of her grandmother's house and finds um, a cassette tape a mixtape that her parents left her 
and she tries to play it, but the tape pops. And so she spends the rest of the film, oh, she has a track listing. So she spends the rest of the film trying to track those songs down and to hear them for the very first time. She's 11. Wow. Um, so it's set in 1999, um, mostly punk and uh, punk adjacent. And so I'm having fun with, with, with that one um, because punk is a lot of things, but kid friendly is not one of them. <laughs> and so trying to, trying to strike a balance between uh, being kid friendly, family friendly, but also, you know, not, not making the kids, you know, headbanging out too hard. So, <laughs> so I'm, ex I'm really excited about that. But in other places, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rock in there too. So um, we're, we've been asked to be, you know, to, to be obscure in places. So I'm excited about that. Dope, dope. Well, there it is. There it is. Well, thank you, everybody. Go out and um, check Heat Rocks with Morgan Rhodes and Oliver Wong. And um, Morgan, we just want to say thank you for gracing us with your presence and voice and knowledge and stories. Uh, we're big fans and I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for asking me. I sure appreciate it. And thank you for always uh, shouting out Heat Rocks. It's not lost on us. We really appreciate that too. Thank you all. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Peace. You too. Bye. Right, man, that was great. Uh, Morgan is as fantastic as you would think. Um, some of her stories um, gave me goosebumps. I mean, the uh, you know about how things hit the heart, and she was talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you know how music nerdum can can both be about statistics and how it makes you feel and representation and all that. It's there was a lot going on, and, and she couldn't have been any more lovely. I just think she's such a soulful person. Like I think I think and I, I I still don't think I asked the question right, but I was just blathering at that point. So I wanted to wrap it up and give her something to react to. But I just like wanted to tell her that like the reason one of the reasons I listen to Heat Rocks, which as we mentioned a, a little bit earlier, is just an excellently produced podcast. And if mm -hmm. you're looking for something to model off of the way they write their scripts, the way that it's edited mm -hmm. and composed, it's just like the way they cut to the music it's just it's so good right um, that it makes me you know aspire to have our podcast be that good and i don't think we're anywhere close to that but we're we've tried to get better over time but anyway all that aside the technicalities aside what makes heat rocks good to me is that it has that balance of oliver's erudition and her mm -hmm. and it's just such a beautiful combo and it's such a good show totally um, it's so cool to talk to her and, you know, she, she actually stated that, like, they don't really riff. And I guess that's true in the traditional sense. But just sort of when they're going back and forth um, in an informal manner about, like, an album they're really into, like, that sounds like they're riffing to me, kind of. You know what I mean? It's so passionate yeah, and, and off the cuff. A structured conversation that leaves room for improv, right? Right, you, right. Like, within these notes, you can solo kind of vibe. Totally. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it was great to hear her talk about some guests that really blew her mind and uh, you know we turned the tables on her a little bit and she talked about some records that she would have liked to talk about if she was on Heat Rock so 
that was yeah that was a fantastic conversation man yeah i'm wondering if we should have made it more hip-hoppy because we're a hip-hop podcast but this is the freedom that damone's sick day affords <laughs> us damone we hope you get better soon we hope you're uh by the time you've heard this you're on the mend and it's nothing serious and we miss you buddy miss you bud miss you bud literally the illest host <laughs> um do you have anything you want to plug or anything like um, that you want to talk about? Nothing too much. Nothing too much at the moment. Um, let me see. I just wrapped up a couple of pieces for Passion of the Weiss that I just sent over. Um, I, I guess I can talk about it now. One is on the making of Rock Cocaine Flow with uh, Jake uh, One. So, uh, we had started working on that before we interviewed him for the pod, right? Exactly, exactly. Nice, yeah. So we it, purposefully didn't talk about Rock yes. Cocaine Flow that much <laughs> because Dave was doing this and we didn't want to step on his on his work. But I, for savvy podcast listeners, you'll remember that I <laughs> Rock Cocaine Show, which nice. got a lot of love in the group chat and none in real life. <laughs> what I was referencing or what I was talking about. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so that was really fun. Um, I have that um, on the way, and I also uh, did a piece with um, Buck Wild on the making of "I Got a Story to Tell." Oh, how cool! By Biggie. So um, both yeah, of those. Yeah, a good story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just both of those. Um, nothing too serious or too big. Just little fun side things that um, you know I'm happy, more than happy to do. Awesome. What um, about so yourself, you, Nate? Are you working on anything? Uh, I am, but nothing I can talk about. Okay, okay, and, like, okay. It just like my like cycle of refusing to finish things goes on and i don't want to bore the audience <laughs> with uh, my inner turmoil but uh yeah pecking away at a couple of uh, a couple of writing things and a couple of podcast things that people will hear when the when the time is right so yes yes uh, we, we're very excited thanks bud yeah um so people can find us on twitter at dad bod rap pod people can find us on instagram at dad bod rap pod and we're doing a newish thing where friday nights 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern i don't know what time in other places we're doing a little instagram live basically like a record nerd comedy show about the week's yeah podcast it's a like a bit the- of a recap to a bit of looking forward yeah, you know, all of that, all of that. Because of the limitations of the technology, the three of us cannot do it together. So we're we're picking two guys a week to basically go in and interact with the guests. If you guys have questions for us, that's a good time to get them answered. We're not recording them and posting them to our IGTV, so we get to be a little bit more free. In our yeah, answers. yeah. And it's more right. like it's more like funny than it is serious. But some yeah, totally. cool people have stopped by, some rappers, some writers, yes, yes, um, yes some yes. of our kind of like online podcast community cohort. Uh, totally, totally. Us. So that, I've actually been having a lot of fun with that. It's like me a nice too, me to too. I, the week. Well, remember when they used to sell DVDs? <laughs> the, the, this is like a, uh, you know, the Friday IG Live thing is like a DVD extra. Yes, good way of putting it. Um, we promoted the Twitter, we promoted the podcast, we promoted the IG Live, we promoted your stories. I think I think that's a show. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank yeah, you, man. Morgan. Thank you. Thank you, Morgan, and thank you, Odyssey, and thank you for our listeners. Absolutely. All right, guys. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask. Dad bod rap pod. <laughs>